Father, my happiness now, according to verse 17, should be advantage to this people. And so I pray that my joy in you from this text would spill over for them and that we would be suited, fitted, empowered to live the crazy, radical Christian life described in this chapter for the rest of our days. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 13 is not mainly about leadership. Although, verse seven, and I hope you have your Bibles open still. I mean, if you shut them, that's not a good habit. Open them again and uh, keep them open because I want you to see for yourself what God has to say. I'll try to be faithful to it. You judge. Even though verse seven says, imitate your leaders. Verse 17 says, obey your leaders, gladden their hearts. Verse 24 says, greet your leaders. But the, the main thing that this chapter is about is not that. It's about the radical Christian way of life that Jesus purchased with his blood and that the Father, through Christ, is working in and through his people. And leadership kind of comes in at the end to support all that. So that's the outline. We want to talk about the radical Christian life described in this chapter, that it was purchased by Jesus when he died outside the camp, and that the Father, through Christ, is working it in his people and how the leaders relate to all of that, which makes this chapter a golden opportunity for me to challenge the South Cities Church to live this way while drawing attention to one of the leaders, David Livingston, whose 52 years of pastoral ministry, 35 of which were among us, should be celebrated. So let's go to the way of life and draw your attention to the radical Christian way of life in this chapter. First six verses draw attention to brotherly love, hospitality, compassion for imprisoned Christians, marital fidelity, dangers of loving money. So let's read it. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So the overarching command of those six verses is keep on loving each other South Cities Church. And then he gives four examples of what that looks like. Number one, open your homes 
to Christians who are in need. Now, this, that command is not mainly about hanging out together with people you know, which is fine. It's just not about that. This is about Christians who've probably been driven by persecution out of their location or home, and they don't have any place to stay. And they're knocking on your door because they've heard Christians live here, and you don't know them, and you let them in. That's what it says. You know, if you knew them, you'd know they weren't angels, right? Both metaphorically and literally. They're not angels. I don't... If you knew them, you'd know they're not angels. I grew up with these people. These people might be angels. They might be angels. You don't know them. This is risky. That's why I'm using the word radical, right? I didn't make that up. A radical Christian lifestyle takes risks. Like, I don't know you. You may sleep here tonight. Number two, second verse three. Second form love takes. Christians who are arrested and put in prison, and we know some, be courageous enough to go there, visit them, because even though you might get identified as one of those, that's what Christians do. Number, number two, three, whatever it is. Verse four, never commit adultery, never commit fornication. Notice at the end of verse four that both of those are in mind here because it says God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous, the adulteress. In other words, Sexual immorality before marriage and sexual immorality in marriage are loveless. They're ways of hating people, not loving people. This is not mainly about me and my personal purity, which is important, like eternally important. This is mainly about how you treat other people. This is, let love be genuine. Let love continue. Let love fill this church. Don't sleep with somebody, not your spouse. People who do that think it's about love. It's not. It's about hate. If you're married and you sleep with somebody who's not your spouse, you are hating that person. A man trying to lure a woman into bed with him, hates her. And a woman yielding to that man, not thinking about rape here, yielding to that man, hates him. Why do I say that? It's because you're confirming them in the pathway into the judgment of God, which is what the text says. He will judge people that do that. You help somebody do that, you hate them. This is really a big deal in the Bible, and it's a big deal in souls, yours and mine. Marriage people, don't sleep around. Single people, keep yourself chaste. Fourth, fourth form of love, keep your life free from the love of money. Covetousness and greed, 
are great love killers. As soon as money craving takes over your heart, love for people has to take the back burner at best. Jesus said, you can't have money and God as your God. And if you don't have God as your God, you can't love people. You believe that? Not in a God-honoring, soul, eternally blessing way. We're so quick to embrace definitions that are tiny and godless. That's not love. Love exalts God and helps people have a happy eternity. That's what love does. And if you love money, you can't do that. So this is a radical way of life. I love this way of life. I want so much to be like this. That's a glimpse of what I mean by the radical way of life in this chapter. You see it in two other places. Look at verse 12. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Now, that's a picture of a risk-taking lifestyle, right? Outside the camp means outside the protection, outside the comfort. It's a risk to go outside the camp. Let's go. Let's go, South City Church. Let's go outside the camp. It's what we do. It's what Christians do. It's been a motto over this church for how many decades? Christians move toward need, not comfort. That's what we do. That's our DNA. Outside the camp, let's go. And then he adds, and let's bear reproach for him. Whoa, what a goal in life. Let's, let's move into relationships and places where we know people won't like us. Reproach is not a happy thing. It's negative, it's ugly, it hurts, it's slanderous. Let's go there. It's a crazy radical life, this Christian life. Here it is again, reference to this life in verses 15 and 16. Through him, that is through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips and acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So there are two kinds of sacrifices in those verses, right? Sacrifice of lips, I praise you. You are my God and you are worthy. That's, that's a sacrifice that God is so pleased by. And the second one is the sacrifice of life. Lips, life, share what you have. Verse 16, share what you have. This is pleasing to the Lord. Do a lot of good. Do as much good as you can do. So, love, keep on doing that. Hospitality, welcome the stranger. Prison ministry, don't defraud sexually. Freedom from greed, doing lots of good. The sacrifice of your life. That's what I mean by 
this chapter is mainly about a radical Christian life. Then I said, Jesus bought this life. What do I mean by that? He bought it. He secured it with blood. And God the Father worked it, is working it, by the Son in our lives. So let's read verses 9 to 12, and you see if you see what I see. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus suffered, also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. That's got some puzzling things in it, but the main point I think is pretty clear. That's why he died, for this lifestyle. The false and strange teachings in verse 9 are tempting Christians to go back to Jewish sacrifices and participate in the meat of those sacrifices with some kind of implication in the teaching that that'll make you strong. It'll make you strong. And this writer says, no, it won't. And there are Christian denominations that teach that kind of sacramental strengthening. No, Christ crucified, purchasing grace, strengthens the soul, not what goes into this mouth. That's a really big deal in the Bible. So this false and strange teachings are very dangerous, this writer says. When you eat those things, the carcass, when you're done, is taken outside the camp. He compares that to Jesus. Jesus went outside the camp, and he was sacrificed there. Verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify, make holy, make radical, make crazy. Christian people by his own blood. Jesus took the place of all the animal sacrifices. We know this, right? We're Christians. We're not merely Jews. We're completed Jews. We love the Old Testament. We love the Jewish people. And we just long for them to see Jesus as the fulfillment of all those sacrifices, which he did. He put an end to bloodshedding as a way to be strengthened. 
He is now the blood that ends all sacrifices, purchases grace, removes guilt, satisfies wrath, and frees you to love. Crazy love. So we're strengthened by grace. Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people. He bought it, it's free by his own blood. So the radical Christian life of Hebrews 13, which I'm trying to commend to you and make plain, was bought, secured by the blood of Jesus. So when you, when you build your theology, which you're doing every time you read your Bible, I hope, you add to the glorious truth, he died for my pardon. He died for my pardon. You add to that, he died for my power. Yes, he did. He did not just die for your pardon. By the pardon, wrath is taken away, guilt is removed, and now grace is flowing like a river of power in your life. If you don't know that, you're probably not born again. There's a lot of people purporting to be pardoned with zero power and commitment to the way of Jesus. And you need to talk seriously to those people like I'm talking to you. Omnipotent grace was unleashed at the cross. We'll see that now as you look at verses 20 and 21. So I said, it's, here's the life, crazy radical life. Here's the purchase of the life, the blood of Jesus. And now here's the Father through Christ working the life in and out of his people, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, that's God, that's our Father, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. And now here's what he's praying that God would do. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That's what Jesus purchased. That flow of power. Everything you need bought by the blood, worked by the Father, equipping you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us, there it is, that's why I'm getting the phrase work in, work out, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. That's the Christian life. Through Jesus Christ, that's why I said the Father working it through Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So the radical Christian life of Hebrews 13 is purchased by Jesus, worked by the Father, equipping us with everything good that we may do all that crazy, wonderful, beautiful, loving will and enabling us to please the Father. So don't just walk out of here. And people, you can't stop people from misunderstanding, but I'm trying to help. Don't walk out of here saying, whoa, that was heavy. Let me look six verses again. That's a lot. Got to screw up, got to screw up my 
willpower and do it. If you say that, you're not paying attention. Blood was shed so you wouldn't do that. Rather, how does it work? Okay, if it's not just screw up your willpower and make those first six verses happen, what's the alternative? In other words, how does verse 21 work? I mean, you're saying God is doing it. You're saying he's doing it through Christ. Help me. I mean, like for 3 o'clock this afternoon, what will it feel like? There's an answer to that in this text. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite passages. So pose the question now to verses 1 to 6. Okay, verses 1 to 6, you tell me not to love money. How am I going to do that? You tell me not to get in bed with the wrong woman. How am I going to have the wherewithal to resist that massive temptation, right? You tell me not to close my door to a stranger. That's how can I do that? You tell me to take the risks of love. And the answer is in the middle of verse 5. Your head's going down? Not every head is going down. So here's how you overcome the love of money and its control on your life, and by implication, the control of sex on your life the control of fear on your life. Four, be content, be content with what you have. And that little word for or because is everything. It's, this, this verse is one of those precious verses in my life. For he has said, John, I'll never leave you. You, you preach that to yourself in the morning? You preach that to yourself walking into a difficult situation. You preach that to yourself facing a temptation that's almost impossible to, to resist. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be for, for you, there for you. Yes, I will. So you don't need to be afraid. You can say, what can man do to me? What a life. What a freedom. What a joy. I mean, verses 5 and 6 are about the best in the Bible. I mean, I've got a lot of best in the Bible. <laughs> we break the back of sin's deceitful promises. That's the only way sin has power in your life, right? It promises you something. Sex is a promise. Riches are a promise. Safety in your home is a promise. Sin is always making promises. How do you break the back of deceitful promises? With better promises. That's how you do it. That's what the text says. We got better promises here. You break the back of sin's deceitful promises by believing in superior promises. That's the alternative to willpower. 
You get it? So you don't walk out of here saying, okay, got to do those six things. The battle is not willpower. The battle is, do I trust him? <laughs> do I trust him? He'll be with me. He'll take care of me. He'll never leave me. He'll give me everything good working in me, that which is pleasing in his sight. What could be better? You believe it or not. That's the battle. So, don't be afraid of strangers. Don't be afraid of prisons. Don't be afraid of sexual chastity, single people, for the next 50 years. I mean, the whole world is telling you, you cannot live a life without sex. You can't. You can. You can. This way. You don't be afraid of a lifetime without sex or staying with one woman, one man, as long as you both shall live. You don't be afraid of going outside the camp. You just don't be afraid. You don't be afraid. You trust him. You look at the blood. You look at the blood and you say, that much he's committed to me. That much. Look at him. Look at Jesus. I mean, I got people in my life I want to be saved like crazy, right? I'd die right now in a minute for their salvation. And when I think about it and pray about it, I think, open their eyes. Look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. How can you turn away from that kind of suffering love? And that's the way Christians live their lives. He, he's committed that much to these promises. So we're at the last point. What has all this got to do with leadership? <laughs> What's this all got to do with David Livingston and Karen? 52 years, 35 years. Three times, I mentioned them, I'll read them now with you. You can read them with me because they're really rich. They have a lot to do with South City's church or the churches you all come from. Hebrews chapter 13, verses seven and eight. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their faith and imitate the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number two, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Man, that weighed on me for 33 years. This is a big church. We always said, this is a big church. I mean, pastors will give an account for souls, members, not hangers-on, never make a commitment, but you, you unite to a body, your pastor gets another weight on his back. Let them do this with joy. <laughs> Such a weight. Come to me, all you who labor, take my yoke upon you. It's light. It's easy. Let them do this with joy, not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then finally, verse 24, greet all your leaders, greet your leaders, all your leaders, and all the saints. So let's just take those one at a time as we close. One, verse seven. 
Verse 7 pictures leaders who evidently have died or gone away because it's in the past tense, right? Remember, spoke, they spoke, they're not speaking, they spoke. The outcome of their faith implies it's over. I mean, you can watch where it went. Where did it go? Where, Where did it go out? So evidently, significant leaders had passed off the scene. Tim Keller, Harry Reeder, Donald McLeod, Paul Eshleman. I I could hardly, it it was a dying week for evangelicals. It was a dying week. One day, Tim, one day, Harry, one day, Donald McLeod, Scottish theologian, one day, Paul Eshleman, the leader and the designer of the most translated film in the universe, the Jesus film. Not to mention Nancy Nelson, and others you know perhaps, it's a dying season for me, for friends. So evidently that's happened in this church and what he tells them to do is remember what they spoke and remember how they lived. Do that. They lived a life of faith in God's promises and they practiced what they preached. They preached the word, they lived the word. That's a pretty simple job description for a pastor. Preach the word, the whole council, and do it. Do it. So they see you do it. For 52 years of pastoral leadership, in three churches, four, if you count this one, it's two kinds of churches. David has n- never brought any reproach upon you or me or Christ ever. No small thing. He has spoken the word of God. He has lived the word of God. And many of us have been inspired to imitate I think verse 8 is attached to verse 7 for a reason. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's the point? The point is a turnover of leadership is never a turnover of lordship. They come and go. Pastors come and go not Jesus. So when I'm telling you to look back on some pastors you loved, elders that you loved and you respected, and you wish you could have been with them forever, when you look back on them, don't idealize anything and don't romanticize anything. Get your eyes up, get your eyes up. Jesus never changes. He's never leaving, right? Never switches churches. That's good news. Verse 17. These are present. These are not dead. These are not gone. These leaders are here. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. 
as those who will have to give an account for that soul care. Let them do this with joy (laughs) and not with groaning. For that, a, a life of pastoral groaning would be of no advantage to you. Now, there are two halves to this verse. The basic idea of the first half is South City's church, when your elders, your pastors, bring forward a prayed over, thought over, thought through proposal, vision, plan, let your first response be support, not suspicion. That's what that verse means, at least. Now we know, we know that all biblical relationships of authority and submission are not absolute. We know this. this. We don't need to linger over this. I'm thinking government and citizen, husband and wife, parent and child, master and servant, and pastor and people. Those are the the five big authority structures in the Bible. And every one of them is relativized by the superior authority of Jesus. We all know this. Like, if your husband asks you to sin, you don't sin, wives. And so on, right across the board. Whatever you think, you think we should obey man, we must obey God, Acts chapter 5. However, the world that we live in is so anti-authoritarian and submission-oriented that they reject the fact that God has put these, these structures in place for society and for our churches, for the health of the churches, the love of the churches, the good of the people, and we should be glad. That's the first half of the verse. Second half of the verse is, is juicy. It's just delicious for people and pastors. Let the leaders do this. Do all this work of soul watch care. Do all this preaching and all this counseling and all this visiting and all this vision casting. Let them do all of this with joy. He's telling you, you, South City's church, to do what you can do to make that happen. Right? That's what it says. Let your pastors, enable your pastors, help your pastors be happy, happy in their work. That's juicy. I love this. I always loved this. I always was happy at Bethlehem. I mean, there were unhappy times. But I was surrounded, and David was surrounded by elders who were so consistently supportive and caring and loving and theologically on the same page and pulling together that whatever negative and hard things were happening, we made it and the joy was restored. It's been a happy season, hasn't it? Let the leaders do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you so the job of south city's church is to gladden the hearts of the pastors and the motive is so that 
you will get the advantage of their happy ministry. That's what it says. It's Christian hedonism through and through. A sullen pastor, picture him, a sullen pastor, a groaning pastor, oh, the, the work is hard. Oh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. <laughs> Will be of no advantage to his people. That's a pretty strong statement. Unhappy pastors make unhealthy churches. They just do. Which means that if you, if I now, sitting in my pew at, at that downtown campus, if we want to be a healthy people, a happy people, we must labor for the joy of our pastors. So, David, thank you for speaking the word of God to your people. To Olivet and Elkhorn and Bethlehem and South Cities Church, in season, out of season, big groups, small groups, one-on-one. -on -one. Thank you that the outcome of your faith is 52 years of ministry unsullied by moral failure of any kind that would bring reproach upon the people of God. You have never brought disrepute on the gospel. Your stability and constancy in Christ is worthy of imitation. And I thank you for being a glad pastor a happy partner in the work. You want to hear a couple of guys laugh? Come to a birthday party on January 13. I'm two days older than that old man. <laughs> I'm the senior pastor. <laughs> Always been the senior pastor. But we do our birthdays together, and man, it is a happy time. 50 years almost, friendship. 1974, they're in the AC Lounge at Bethel. You've been a rock of happy constancy for me and my ups and downs. I'm, I'm a very volatile person. David's a rock. I mean, you may be up and down too, but it doesn't show like it shows here. I can be really down and I can be really up and it is so good to have a friend who's a rock. You've been a glad shepherd. You've made me healthier in the ministry and in my marriage. Yes, ministry and marriage, you've made me healthier. And you've been a glad pastor and shepherd here at South City's Church from the beginning. And we together thank you. The other text, verse 24, I can do in one sentence. Greet your leaders. That's why we're doing today. Today is an obedience to that. In the next couple hours, we will greet David and Karen, and we will say, well done. 
We greet you in the name of Jesus. So as we turn to the table, the Lord's table, before I pray, just let your mind go back to the middle point of the message. Jesus bought this life with his blood. So Father, as we make our transition now to remember with the bread and the cup that you died for us, Jesus. Oh, assure us that the promises will be kept and that the freedom will be given and the fear will be taken away and we can live this Christ-exalting, crazy, radical Christian life. I assist in Jesus' name. Amen.